<laughs> I was saying to the kids on the way in, it's like, you know, it's okay that you guys can sing and dance with the adult songs upstairs. And they said, our songs are much more fun. <laughs> oh, thank you, Father. We thank you for this time that we've already had today. We look forward to that day when you return, Jesus. Jesus, when you split the sky and you return for your sons and daughters. Lord, we are so expectant of that time and we stir ourselves up and it's not a time for us to get lazy or a time for us to get fearful. No, it's a time for us to be excited and run harder as we see the day approaching, to tell more as the day approaches. And so, Father, we just thank you. We thank you. And we say, come, Lord, quickly. Come, Lord, quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I saw a good post from a friend of ours this week. He said, uh, um, he, he posted a little picture, and it said, when most people preach about end times, they, people get fearful, and they try to hide their lives, and they try to uh, buy more guns and ammo, and they, they, they try to, you know, stock up food. And that's not a time for us to close our lives in. It's a time to make a bigger table and invite more people to supper. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, we're going to continue on in our series on the laws of God this morning. Hallelujah. And we were on, we're on week three of law number five, the law of sowing and reaping, or the law of seed time and harvest. And, you know, we're, we've got to probably this week and next week on this one. And within this series, looking at the five different laws that we're looking at, have been looking at, we spent most of our time on this back half, on the law of faith, and the law of sowing and reaping. And it's real, there's an important reason why is those are laws that you participate in. And we need to be reminded that the, the Bible is an active thing. It talks about if you continue and if you believe and if and if. And it's like it's not automatic. And uh, we've spent a lot of emphasis on this series on talking about Christianity is not a passive thing. The, we talked about the message of sovereignty, the false mess side of sovereignty. There's a, there's a real side that God is sovereign. He is ultimate. He is supreme. But there's also some false messages about that that lull Christians into a sense of passivity and like, oh, whatever God wants, it'll just get done. Oh, whatever. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Come on. No, he wants you active and at work. With the law of faith, it says faith is birthed in a heart that responds to the word of God. Not that goes, ooh, that was nice. No, it's what faith responds. Faith speaks. Faith acts. And in with the law of sowing and reaping, we begin to see that you have more input in your life than most people would want to believe. Why? Because it's easier to blame someone else. It's easier to say, it's your fault I'm where I am. Actually, no, it has nothing to do. No one else can sabotage your life. Well, they could put me in prison, Pastor Jordan. Yeah, we saw in the Bible, uh, God sent an angel for Peter and opened up the doors, dropped off the chains and said, let's go, Peter. And he had to shake himself. To he thought he was dreaming. Come on. The world can do what they're going to do, and God can still get around that. Because he's not bound by them. But guess what? Your life is bound by your faith. A man gets what he believes for. God said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe. 
And so we spent a lot of time in bringing up different, in diff- several different messages about the idea of sovereignty of God where it le- leads people into that, oh, God's in control and whatever he wants. And it was interesting, I came across a good post this week um, from uh, Barry Bennett, who's one of the instructors at Karis Bible College, and he was talking about that very thing, and I thought his post was good because there was a lot of pushback about what he said. So many people were mad about what he was saying, and, you know, you got to take that down, and you got to repent of that. And well, here's what he said. He said, do not be deceived, was the title of his, his uh, post. And he said, if God was controlling things, then the earth would be like heaven. Right. <laughs> heaven is as, as God wants things to be, right? right? If God was controlling things, earth would be like heaven. Adam and Eve would have never sinned. Cain would have never killed Abel. There would be no sickness, no suffering, no tragedies. Jesus would not have taught us to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God is already willing, what happens on the earth? Right? Think about that. Why would he tell you to pray and seek his will if his will was already happening on the earth? You don't need to know. Just look around. Jesus would not have come to destroy the works of the enemy if the works that were going on were his will. Paul would not have prayed that we would have the knowledge of his will and his love if his will is already known through the darkness in the hearts of men. In fact, if God is controlling all things, evil, sickness, suffering, crime, war, calamity, those should all be celebrated. Oh, that one kind of sticks, right? Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) Who is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Who is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? If God is controlling the works of darkness, is it for his glory? How many are coming to God through witnessing human trafficking, or drug addiction, or cancer in children, or senseless crime, right? If it's displaying God's glory, people should be flooding to Jesus by seeing these things, right? Because he said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So obviously these things are not glorifying God. If God is controlling all things, why do we pray? We have no right to question his will. We have no right to hope for something better. God's best appears to be suffering and heartache. These false teachings are repeated daily around the world, and instead of believers demonstrating God's goodness and power, as he said in John 14, 12. What did Jesus say in John 14, 12? That the works that I do, you'll do also. And what did Jesus do while he was on this earth? Did he go about making people sick? No, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. Many are demonstrating confusion and even blame God for evil. Why do we need a redeemer if God is controlling all things? What do we need to be redeemed from? God? Don't be deceived. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. John 10.10. And those were some strong statements that he made in that post. And man, there were a lot of Christians mad. You notice the, the world wasn't mad at him when he said it, though. It was a bunch of Christians saying, you need to repent and you need to take that down. So he posted another post. And he says, some question why I frequently speak against the sovereignty of God or the God is in control culture found in many churches. The obvious result of these teachings is the passivity of believers and a total lack of believing and walking in what Jesus died to give us. 
And that is, that is what I, my heart has been as we've been going through the law of faith and the law of sowing and reaping. Because we don't need passive Christians. We need active Christians who believe what God said about them. We need Christians who believe that they can do what God who said they can do. That when God said, here's how it is, they say, yes, Lord, let's do it. We are called to an active Christianity. You know, Paul said in Philippians 2.12, I was meditating on this as I was preparing before service, and I looked down, and I'm like, oh, service is about to start, I better go. In Philippians 2.12, he told you to work out your salvation. Be active at work in it. What is on the inside of you should be coming out through you and affecting every area of your life. We work out our salvation. And the, the, and the King James it says, with fear and trembling. Those words are with awe and with reverence. You go, oh God, you are so good. I honor you. Man, that's just so awesome. I am just awestruck at the wonder of what you've done for me. Lord, I am just awestruck at how much you love me. God, I am just so smack happy about what you've done for me. I can't contain it. I can't help it. He said, work out your salvation with awe and reverence. Man, to be at work. Why? Because in, in, in it all, God wants someone to be with and to work with. He's not interested in somebody who has to believe. He's interested in somebody who chooses to believe. And I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. It seems like God will pass over a million people with problems just to get to one person standing in faith. Your faith and your actions in your life matter. Hallelujah. And so we looked at last week, we went back to the garden, and we said we could see all of the five laws that we've covered at work in the garden. Why? Because the garden was God's intention for mankind, right? And why is that important? You could say, like we said last week, well, the lot has changed since the garden. Adam and Eve screwed it up. Yeah, but Jesus came and fixed it. And if God's intention in the beginning was for these things to be at work, the Bible says he's not like man that he should change his mind. And so if that was his intention in the beginning, his mind hasn't been changed. He still knows what he wants to be possible for you. In the beginning, he created you in his image and in his likeness, and he said, here, let's give them dominion and authority and control. What do you guys want to do? See, I've given you the seed. What do you want to do with it? What do you want to plant? What do you want to see thrive? And even after the world had stumbled, as Adam and Eve screwed things up, and we know what they should have done, but we also suffered from what they did do, and now we get to know what Jesus did, and we get to succeed because of what he did. And even after Adam and Eve screwed things up, Jesus said, or God said to Noah, well, the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We still have winter, we still have summer, we still have day and night, we still have cold and heat, seed time and harvest still abound. And God was simply not just talking about physical things, that a farmer plants a seed and gets a harvest. No, Jesus put that in perspective. In John chapter 12, where we were last week, we saw that it was not just something God tells us to do is something he does come on you here this morning yeah. 
we got a lot to cover this morning still. It's not just something he tells us to do, it's something God operates under. And so Jesus said in John 12, 23, Jesus talking to the Greeks and to Philip and Andrew, he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. If, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Who was the seed he was talking about? Himself. He said, I am God's seed. He's sowing his one and only son, and he was going to reap many sons and daughters. Come on. That's why we can stand on this principle today, because it's not a principle about us. It's a principle about God. God said, what you sow, you will reap. And last week we said we need to be intentional with our lives and what we do and where where we sow of our time and our talents and our understanding and our focuses. We need to be intentional about it because God's intentional about it. How do I know? Because he said, the hour has come. Which means there was something he was looking forward to. A time. Why? Because him and God planned something. And he came to carry out the plan. And he knew when the time had come because he was looking for that time because he was being intentional about what he was doing. He knew why he was there, what he had to do, and he knew what was going to happen because of it. And the same thing, you get to be intentional with your life. Where you put your focus, where you put your time, where you put your seed. If you want to harvest in something, guess what you get to do? Be intentional about what seeds you begin to plant. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where we ended off last week. We were in 1 Corinthians 15, and I felt like we were being a little rushed towards the end because we were way over time. And uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, I told you that Paul was answering a question that the Corinthians had asked him. And they were struggling with the idea that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's uh, something that the world is still struggling with today. Come on. There's, There's whole segments of Christianity that believe, well, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher while he was here on earth. But he's not. He wasn't God. And he didn't die. And he didn't rose again. That's just a good part that they wrote into the story. No. He did what he did. He said what he said. It is as he said it is. Everything else is just man's logic trying to rationalize something that they don't understand. And that's what's happening with the Corinthians here. They're like, uh, how does this whole uh, raise it from the dead thing? Did Jesus actually get risen from the dead? And they were also struggling with the idea that when Jesus returns, he's going to take your old skin bag and he's going to take incorruptible or corruptible and make it incorruptible. He says mortality is going to take on immortality. God is going to take what's left of you, whether it's in the ground or whether it's here on this earth, and he's going to make it live forever so that there's no more death and destruction. And they were struggling with that concept. They're like, that just doesn't happen. Maybe for natural men. But we're talking with God. 
And so that's the question that they're dealing with in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul told them early in the chapter, he said, if Christ did not die, then we are men most pitiful. We're still stuck in our sins, our faith is worthless, and Jesus did all that for nothing. He was right blunt with them. He's like, we have no hope if the dead don't rise. But we're still living here with Peter, who was there on that day. John's still alive to this day, to that day. We know people that were there and saw the resurrection, met Jesus in the garden. They spent that time with him. They saw him ascend into heaven, and they were testifying of what they saw. Hallelujah. And so it, Paul's like, guys, if this didn't happen, it doesn't, nothing else matters. You should all forget about everything. So let's pick it up in verse 33 today. Last week we read it out of the Amplified, and we'll see if we're going to read it out of the Passion. And I like putting it into these different translations because sometimes a little more modern English perspective can help us with our understanding, right? And so we started in verse 34 last week, but I want to move back one verse. And it says here in verse 33 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, Stop fooling yourself. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. And the reason I backed up, because I was like, oh my goodness, that's the law of sowing and reaping at work. If you spend time with people of horrible character and horrible morals, guess which direction you're heading in? That direction. Bad company corrupts good character. The, even the world recognizes that you're a composite of your five closest relationships whether they be friends or whether it be family. You are a composite and moving in the direction of those who, of your five closest relationships. And I remember a bill, I was listening to a billionaire. He wasn't a billionaire at the time of this thought that I'm about to tell you. And uh, he, was, he heard about that idea and he looked around at his friends and he realized they were all the same level of wealthy. And he's like, we've hit the ceiling. We're all on that same level. We think the same. And he said, I need to find friends with bigger vision, with bigger outlook. That doesn't mean he ditched his, those other friends, but he intentionally put himself in new situations and circumstances to stretch his thinking and perspective. And the story as he was telling it is he's like, it's amazing what happened over the next year and the next two years is that I begin to think different because I was seeing where my limitations had been placed. And they were limitations that they had placed upon themselves. And as he began to think like these people that were further ahead than where he was, he began to accelerate and to increase. All things of your life are like that. You want to see the box that you put yourself in? Look at who you associate with. You have to look at a new perspective. Somebody who's already broken that level. Some people put themselves in friendship relationships that are nothing but pulling them down. And we always have to look at the dynamic in a relationship. Who is influencing who? Because there's people that God will bring in your life for you to grab and lift up to your level. To dust them off and say, we can go further. We can go higher. But sometimes we put ourselves in positions where we're letting ourselves be pulled off our destiny. We're being pulled away from our purpose. We're lowering ourselves to a lower level of thought, 
and possibility. Come on. That was definitely for someone because we didn't go over that last week. Stop fooling yourself. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and good characters. Look for people of action. Look for people who believe. Look for people who say, God, you said it, I believe it, let's do it. And expand your horizons. It says, come back to your senses and awaken to the, what is right. Repent from your sinful ways. And whenever we hear repent from your sin, you're like, stop, you're sinning. That's really not what it means. To sin means to miss the mark. It could simply mean you're heading in the wrong direction. Not doesn't mean that you're ne- not doing something that, that you're, sorry. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something that's bad. You're just not going the direction God has called you to. If he said, walk this way, walk that way, right? And so sin is just simply going the opposite direction that God would have you to do. And repent means to turn from what you've been focused on and up to something higher. And so he says, come back to your senses and repent. For some have no knowledge of God's wonderful love, and you should be ashamed that you make me write this way to you. I love that statement by Paul. He's like, guys, we shouldn't have to be having this conversation in this way. Come on, I believe better things of you. And he says, I can almost hear someone saying, how can the dead come back to life? And what kind of body will they have when they're resurrection? Foolish man, don't you know that what you sow in the ground doesn't germinate unless it dies? And so Paul brings this perspective of this law of sowing and reaping, and he's saying the first thing that happens when you plant a seed is you have to let go of it. You have to let it die. You plant it in. If you want a harvest of strawberries in your backyard, and you got to put those strawberry seeds in the ground, right? And so Paul is saying here with Jesus, he had to die because he was God's seed. And it does nothing happens with a seed until it is sown. Let's just say this. Might as well. We're being pretty pointed this morning intentions don't really mean anything if there's no action involved with them. When someone says to you, well, I intended to do this, you don't, you go like, who cares? This is what you did though, right? And so what you intended to sow or what you intended to focus on doesn't mean anything. Harvests grow from what you did sow. Come on. And if you're looking at your relationships around you and everything's up and up, always up, riotous and, you know, in chaos, you got to look that you're not the one that's sowing that chaos. <laughs> that you're not the one that's always sowing that problem. That you're not the one sowing that despair. Come on. Can we be honest with her? Because sometimes people suck. <laughs> Come on. Can we say that, church? We did, so obviously we can. But you can't always stop what somebody else is doing, but you are the one that determines what you're doing. What are you bringing to the relationship? What are you bringing to the atmosphere when you enter the room? Did you come all hum-glum? Come on. Verse 37, we'll move on. (laughs) And what you sow is not the body that will come into being, but the bare seed. 
And it's hard to tell whether it's wheat or some other seed. And what Paul is saying is when you put it in the ground, it looks like this little seed. But what you're getting out of that ground is not that seed again, right? And when you put that, look at that little wheat seed, it doesn't even look like wheat. It's just like a little, like, round little ball. And you stick it in the ground, and a stalk pops up, right? And so what you sow is not what you're going to reap. And I'm going to say that right now because this is the law of sowing and reaping. And when we sow in faith, we should also have an expectation of what's coming. That I expect there to be growth. I don't expect to just get the seed back. I expect a harvest. Much more than what I put in the ground. Come on. But when it dies, God gives it a new form a body to fulfill his purpose, and he sees to it that each seed gets a new body of its own and becomes the plant he designed it to be. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, when God tells them about seed, he said, each seed produces after its own kind. So you don't just get your seed back, you get a harvest which means we have to have an expectation. And God does not have a hard time with you being expectant of something. He gave you the principle to use. Come on, when you go to work and you sow your time and your talents, you expect that you're having a paycheck, right? Come on. There should be an expectation because God is bigger and he's more trustworthy than the world. So, let's just ask the question, what seeds can we sow? Um, most people don't want to hear this, but pretty much everything in your life is a seed. Your time, your attentions, your focus, what you choose to learn, what you choose to watch, what you choose to do with your money. You waste it all away, you have none for tomorrow. You put it to work, it'll carry you through to the future. Come on. Everything in your life is a seed. The prophet Hosea said this. This is God speaking through him. He said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will reap a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. And so that's what God told them, this is what you should do. Prepare your heart for a harvest. Sow seeds of righteousness so that you can receive a crop of love. But here, he goes to the next verse and he says, but instead you've cultivated wickedness and you've harvested a thriving crop of sins. You have eaten the fruit of lies. You trusted in your military might believing that the great armies could make your army safe. And so God contrasts before them. He said, this is what you should have done, and here is what you did. And you're reaping a harvest from what you did, not with what was intended to be done. And even David fell into this problem here in the second half of the verse. It says, you trusted in your military might, believing that your great armies could make your nation safe. David was winning battles left and right with a little band of mighty men. And they were doing great things, and they would beat, the, the odds would be like 100 to 1 against them, and they'd come home winning. 
But the more ground that David took and the more the kingdom became established, he thought, you know what? We should count the people. I think we could get some more taxes out of them, and I think we could get some, a larger army. I think that would be a good thing. And God said, don't do it. Don't do it, David. And David went ahead and did it. And you know what he ended up with? More gold, more men, and less victories. Hmm. It's better to do it the way God told you to do. And so he's here, David can relate to what God is saying through Hosea. You trusted in your military might, but it didn't help you. It didn't keep the nation safe. Your life is seed. What you do with your talents is seed. What you do with your time is seed. Man, I've been trying to be more intentional about sowing time with my boys when I have it. Because I was, found I was getting in the habit of being there, but not actually being there. That even when I had time to be with them, I was doing something, and they were doing something. That's not how you influence someone. That's not how we should be raising our kids. Because they can spend 25 hours a day <laughs> on their devices. But that's not me training them. That's not me causing them to be good men. And so I've been intentionally sowing this seed of my time when I am home. That's just an example of where I'm trying to work on in my life. But there's many areas, if we look at our life, I spend this time here expecting to get this harvest, but that's not what I'm getting because I need to be sowing differently with my time. Just as the same way, if you squander your talents and never use them, they will never grow. Well, that one didn't go over well. <laughs> If you squander your talents and the way that God has gifted you, it won't grow. And so many people in our world today are like, God, I just feel like I have no purpose. It just, uh, there's no meaning in my life. Because you're not doing something with what he's given you to use. And if you would sow of those talents that he's given you, you would see a harvest of those things in ways you never could imagine. All areas of our life are seed. Paul told the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 7, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Everyone say with me, whatever. 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 This principle so much more wide than we could imagine. And it says, For he who sows unto his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows unto the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so he says, you get the choice of which direction you want to sow of your life. You can sow into the things of the Spirit, the things of God, the things of which he said, and reap life and life everlasting. Come on, that sounds like such a better deal to me than corruption and death and destruction, right? If I get the option of what type of harvest I'm going to be receiving, I sure as heck don't want corruption, right? And he says, and don't let us grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Let's look at that a little bit differently. In the New Living Translation it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
Come on. And here's something I want to talk about this morning. When you've sown in faith, don't walk away and turn it into doubt and start digging up your seed. Because the seed that you pull out of the ground is not going to produce for you. No, the seed that you water, the seed that you tend, the seed that you guard, that's the seed that will produce. And we watch over our seed and we water it with our words and our faith. I have planted and I will see harvest. God, I have done this and I believe that you are faithful to see it through to the end and I will walk in harvest. I will walk in victory. I will walk in blessing. Come on, because the only one who can get you to turn back is you. The only one who has power over your seed is you. Come on, if we move one chapter back in the book of Galatians, Paul is calling out the Galatian church. And he says, you were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. There's that whole, he's not controlling your life. For he is the one who called you to freedom. And he said, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. What happens with that little seed of yeast? It causes the whole loaf to rise. And so here Paul calls them out saying, you've been listening to the wrong things, that false teaching, that's not what I taught you, taught you. Somebody else came and told you that, and that's not the truth. And as you've planted that in your life, you're now getting a harvest from it. That's not a harvest you want. And so he said this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. And unfortunately, most know so little of the word, word that they never recognize false teaching. So let's, I want to look at something this morning. If so many different areas of your life are seed, do you want to know what's also seed? The word of God. And so let's look what Jesus had in Mark chapter 4. You with me this morning? Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells one of his most important parables. And in verse 3, he says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. So he's talking about seed time and harvest here. Listen, a sower went out to, hold, to sow. And it happened that as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop and it sprang up it increased and it produced some 30 some 60 some 100 and he said to them he who has ears let him hear i like that jesus is like if you're actually interested in listening you needed to listen to this one come on because he knew that this principle permeates every area of your life and so he says that, and they begin to go, oh, shoot. What was he talking about? I don't understand. I don't get it. What's going on? We're in trouble. That's exactly what happens. They begin to discuss amongst themselves, like, guys, we don't understand this. And he said it's really important, but I just don't get it. Been there? Have you ever been there? Come on. <laughs> Thank God he's so gracious and merciful to us. And so in verse 13, he finally just calls him out. And he says, 
do you not understand this parable? <laughs> How then will you understand all the parables? That, that shows us how important this law of sowing and reaping is. If you don't get it here, how, how are you going to get it anywhere else? Why, why are we spending so much time on this? Because it's important. You need to be active in your pursuit of God and sowing. A lot of the body of Christ doesn't want to hear this. Even this morning as we were preaching, somebody already walked out because they were mad. That's okay. That's okay. You get to control your heart. And if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? If you don't learn how to apply the law of sowing and reaping when it comes to the word of God, how are you going to apply it in other areas of your life? And so he's like, guys, it's okay. Let's break it down. Whew, God is so good. Here's an important principle. If you don't know, ask. God will spell it out for you. God will be like, okay, let's talk about it a different way then. And if you don't get it that time, he'll go over it again with you. If you don't know, you can. You know, I was dealing with Bennett this week, and I know Bennett just hates being parts of my stories. <laughs> but he was getting really frustrated about what he was trying to do. And I was like, it's okay. And he's like, ah, ah, ah. And I said, Bennett, I'm right here. Ask for help. And I'm more than willing to help you. Whew, if I'm like that as a father, how much more our Heavenly Father who loves us. If you're feeling frustrated in your life, begin to ask questions. God, I need help. What about this? So if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the rest of them? And he says, the sower sows the word. And he goes on to tell them about three things that happen when you sow. And it's interesting to note that in every area of life, these three things still happen today. You want to know why? The enemy is not very smart. And he doesn't have a new game plan. And so as he's done it once, he'll try and do it again. And so here's what he says. Sower sows the word. And these are the ones which fell on the wayside. When the word is sown, when they hear Satan immediately. Everyone say immediately. immediately. He comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. How does he do it? When truth is spoken to you, you'll find that automatically thoughts will come. Well, that's not how it is. Oh, that's not true. Oh, you're foolish to think that. What is he doing? He's trying you to grab one of his seeds and give up that seed. And he still does it. When God tells you something or you see something in the word of God about what he's promised you, immediately he's going to want you to not believe that. Because he knows if you'll believe, he can't stop you. He said immediately he takes away the word that has been sown in their hearts. And Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 2, lest Satan should take advantage of us, 
we're not ignorant of his devices or how he operates. And so when you intentionally, because we're talking about being intentional with our seed, right? When you intentionally sow, I want you to know the enemy's going to try immediately to stop you. He wants you to dig it up right now. But because you know that that's what he wants to do, you know that opposition is going to come right away. So if opposition is coming right away, you need to be prepared right away. (laughs) Why? Because you know what's going to happen. He's pretty dumb. He's got the same cycles he goes through over and over again. And so if he's going to immediately come after you sow, you can be immediately prepared. And we know that when he comes, it's the thief he wants to come to steal. He wants to steal your seed. He wants to kill your dreams, and ultimately, he wants to destroy your life. Peter said, be sober, or be clear-minded, and be vigilant, or active and determined, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith. How does faith work? Faith talks, faith acts, faith stands, faith believes against all odds. Faith calls those things which be not as though they were. Faith calls or gives life to dead things. Come on. That's how God believes. And we believe like him. We resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by our brotherhood in the world. Meaning the way he's trying to attack you is the same way he's trying to attack everyone else. He wants you to dig up your seed. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you and I wanted to put that last verse in there today for a specific reason because it says after you have suffered a while and I heard growing up that the, it's, when it's suffered a while well, sometimes God will let you suffer just a little bit so he can work off the hard edges and you know he wants to get you soft like the potter's wheel and he wants to form you and you know I heard all that stuff growing up in religious churches What does suffered a while mean here? Well, the word for a while means momentary. It means a little. Because the idea that we see here in the Greek, that as soon as the problem shows up, guess what? So does God. And so the problem shows up in your face to give you a hard time. And God says, hey, how's it going? As soon as the problem shows up, so does God to perfect you, to establish you, to strengthen you, and to settle you. Come on, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And if there's a problem present, there's a mightier God who is as well. Woo, hallelujah. And when I plant the seed and the enemy shows up to try and steal it, God is saying, no, 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 don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. Come on, agree with me. Agree with me. If two of you agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done for you as by my Father in heaven. That's book of Matthew. Quote the word, Adam. Speak. Don't let him touch your seed. That was number one. Two. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with 
gladness. And they have no root in themselves. And so they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians like this over the year. The longer you're, you're, you're uh, in, the, in the things of God, you see a lot of people like this. They come and they're like, yeah, and then you don't see them again. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I saw a video this week. Of, there's, there was a group of people sitting together, and then one all of a sudden got up and was like, yeah, yeah, and like everybody else got up with them and they're like, hey, yeah, what's going on? And, they're like, and then they started laughing like, you guys are just such sheep followers. <laughs> You got excited because I was excited. No, what are you excited about? It says the seed was planted, they got happy about it, but they had no root. You got to tend the seed. Stir the word in your heart. Remind yourself of it. Watch over it with your words. And when persecution comes because of the word's sake, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. You can stand. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Amen? It says, the just live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not like those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Okay, that's one and two. Here's number three. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. There are the ones that hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are people who are divided in their focus of their seed. They sowed the world, they sowed the word, they sowed trust in other things, and they now have a competing harvest that's choking out the word. There are things you need to take care of in this world. There's no denying that at all. The word has preeminence. There are desires for other things. God has no problem with you having things, but he wants your heart first above all things. And it's interesting that it's the deceitfulness of riches is one of those things. How are riches deceitful? Well, there's certain mindsets that live in people. Poor people think that they'll never be rich. And it keeps them poor. Rich people are sometimes afraid of losing what they've got. And so it becomes a fear and a stumbling block. Money can be deceitful because you think because you have money, that now equals power or importance. But you know what makes you powerful and important? Being a child of God. He said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're very important to him. And so the deceitfulness of riches can get people off. But what do we do? We keep focus. We tend our seed and we believe for harvest. Amen? But thank God there was one more type. <laughs> if only it was here. There it is. 
But these are the ones who sowed on good ground. Those who hear the word, they accept it, and they bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. And I want to point out, it's 30, 60, 100. Why? Because you're not the one that needs to be in control of the harvest. You're the one that's in control of putting the seed in the ground. God knows what you need of, and he will take care of you every day, day in and day out. He knows what needs to come up on that seed. He knows exactly what you need to be sustained. He knows exactly what you need to do what you've been called to do. And if you're just faithful to plant, he will see through the harvest, and he will get you to the harvest that you need. Amen? So you don't have to worry about, God, how do I always have 100% 100 return on everything? You won't. He said sometimes 30, 60, 100, you'll get what you need. Plant what he told you to plant. And so this is such an important topic because it's really not a topic. It's just how God operates. And so this morning, our word care team is going to be up here in a moment. Sow some seeds of faith with them if you need to. If you need someone to believe and agree with you, they are there to do that. You may not have been on the right track in some areas of your life, but you know, you're never too late to start planting a new field, to plant some new seeds of faith, to believe that that body is whole, to believe that that mind is being sharpened once again, to believe that those doors are open before you, that there is opportunity for you, that there is still good in this land, and they would love to believe and agree with you this morning. But be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Pastor Robin. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so I'm going to do it again. Um, (laughs) We, you know, when, when you preach under the anointing like this, it just inspires different things. So you made a statement regarding watching over your seed. Okay, that one. All right, so um, I actually have some scriptures I've been wanting to use the last couple of weeks, but because of, uh, of what he shares and what he shared today, um, this sort of brings us to this because he's already said enough about seed time and harvest. And as it pertains to giving your tithes and offerings, you're all, every time you give, you're sowing a seed. We have to have the ability to give it and keep our heart right so it goes into good ground and we let it die. That means you just let go of it. You let go of it. Once it's died, though, it comes back as a harvest. So we keep focused, tend our seed, and believe for harvest. Amen? We tend our seed, but how? Just speak over it. There was another statement you had there, too, about speaking over the... Um, we watch over our seed, water it with our words and faith. Amen? So, Father, we thank you that you've given us the ability to work in this harvest field. Father, so we sow seed into this harvest field for the salvation of many. You said the the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So, Father, we ask you now to raise up those laborers to go out into that harvest field. And so we can reap a harvest there. And as we do that, we support it with our tithes and offerings. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Word care team, please.